Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, welcome. This podcast exists for a simple reason, to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. Here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that is it. No fluff, lots of actionable tips that you and the guests can hopefully put to use. That's how the show typically works, but today's episode is going to be a little different because today is going to be a flip the script episode. And what that means is instead of someone coming on and asking me questions, I brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from, and I am going to ask her the three questions. Today, my guest is Christina Nicholson. Christina is a former TV reporter and anchor turned owner of a PR agency called Media Maven. She's the host of the Become a Media Maven podcast, where she pulls the curtain back on all things media and public relations. Today, she's going to share some tips on how anyone can earn media exposure in places like the Today Show, Forbes, and Top Podcasts without spending money on ads. So I am sure this is going to be of interest to all of my audience because who doesn't love getting attention without paying for it? Hey, Christina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Hi, Josh. Happy to be here. Christina and I were just saying before we got started, we feel like we know each other because we've interacted on Twitter and in Jay Klaus's The Lab. Shout out for Jay Klaus, who runs a great membership community. But it's the first time we've actually seen each other in person or at least on, on video. So I'm excited to learn more from you and pick your brain, so to speak. So let's get into it. Let me start with the first thing I want to know. And I want to start with a hypothetical. Let's pretend I'm a creator who's a cooking expert, which I most definitely am not, but that's why it's a hypothetical. <laughs> Let's say I've built a bit of an audience. I've sold some successful courses or info products, but I've never put any effort into PR. I've never really gotten any media coverage. I've never really tried to get any media coverage. But now let's say I have a new course coming out that's aimed at home cooks, and I'd like to try to get some coverage both for the course and or for myself in general. I'm established a bit. I'm certainly not a household name, but it seems like I've got something that people might want to cover, or at least in my own mind, they'd want to cover. Talk to me. Let's start here. What are the first three things that I should do? Okay. Well, first of all, this is not one of the things you could do. Just side note. You mm -hmm. don't need an audience or sales. So say you're just like a cooking expert, you have no audience and you haven't sold anything. It really doesn't matter because the person you're pitching, unless they're doing a financial story about your numbers, your audience or your sales doesn't matter. So that's the good news for people who are like brand new. The first thing you should do is to be clear on your goal. So for example, if your goal is to sell an online course, then I like podcasts because people who listen to podcasts buy online courses. And if your goal is to get people into your local bakery or your local brick and mortar, then I like local media, the local TV stations, the local newspaper. So you just have to be super specific on your end goal and not get distracted by like the big fancy names of certain outlets. And while you're clear on that goal, you also want to focus on the audience, not the topic. So for example, and I'll use Rachel Ray as an example, because mm -hmm. I want to share a real life example. So this actually is not a cooking example, but I had a right. client that had a baby product and they wanted to reach more moms. And we ended up getting that baby product on the Rachel Ray show. And that is an outlet that people would think, oh, Rachel Ray, she talks about cooking and my product isn't about cooking. Well, the product may not be something that you will think is a fit because the show is about cooking, but who's the audience? The audience is mostly moms. So when you are being clear on your goal, I want you to think about who the audience is and not necessarily what is in the title of the podcast show, for example. You always have to go back to the audience. So first, be clear on your goal. Number two, the second thing you want to do is after that, you want to start building a media list. And you want to do this with a focus on quality over quantity. So I suggest just breaking out a spreadsheet and thinking like, okay, these are the top 20 places I want to be. And this is why. And it should be because your audience listens, watches, reads, whatever that outlet is. And in this media list, you want to include the outlet. You want to include the host, if it's a podcast, if it's a podcaster, 
You want to include that person's social media channels, their email address, things like that, because it's also important to connect with that person that you're going to be pitching on social media, just because today we're so much more likely to pay pay attention to a notification on social media than we are another email in our inbox. And then number three, you're going to write a pitch, and we'll get more into pitches in a bit, but you want to write a pitch, and in that pitch, you want to have two very specific things in that pitch to make the person say yes. One is timeliness, and the second is talking points. So when I say timeliness, that it's more for traditional media than podcasts, But you want to give the person you're pitching a reason to do this story right now, because if they don't have a reason to do that story right now, then they're going to put it on the back burner. So I gave the example of the baby product I got on The Rachel Ray Show. I was pitching for a while, but it aired when it did because it was right before Mother's Day. So that's why they were focusing on baby products around that time. So you have to look at the time. Why should this be done right now? And then when it comes to talking points, You have to be so specific in your talking points that you can share things that nobody else who does what you do can share. I get so many pitches to be on my podcast. Josh, I'm sure you get the same. And they'll say like, I'll teach you how to make money marketing. And it's like, that could mean a million different things. That could mean organically by posting on Instagram. That could be through an email newsletter. That could be by using advertising on Pinterest. Like you have to get so specific that nobody else can talk about what you are pitching to talk about. That's great. I love all of those are great tips. And I want to drill in on all of the things that you said. So the first one, which I love because I think it echoes a lot of the stuff I say about whether it's newsletters or social media or whatever. And that is when you talk about goals, I think it's important to understand the coverage is not the actual goal. The coverage is a tool to accomplish the goal, which is to sell more, to grow your audience, to whatever it is, to get new opportunities, whatever your actual goal is. And I think it's really important. It's funny that, you know, you started with the goal because that's how I am with just about everything. People come to me and they go, how do I grow my newsletter? How do I get more followers? How do I whatever? I'm like, what do you want more followers for? Like, what do you want more newsletters? Like, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? And I think I could see a lot of people in this hypothetical situation, starting with my goal is to get media coverage. And I think when you saying start with the goal, the goal is not actually to get media coverage. To your point, like, who are you trying to reach? What are you trying to accomplish? And I think your example of there's a big difference between you're trying to sell a course and you're trying to get your food in the local grocery store or get people to go to your bakery to buy your stuff, right? So I think that goal piece is important and especially understanding that the goal is not just media coverage. The media coverage is the tool to accomplish whatever the real goal is. The second one that I wanted to ask you about was when you talk about coming up with a media list, which again, I think is great advice, but I'm sure there are people out there. And just for context, by the way, like I used to work in PR, I used to work as a journalist. So I am somewhat familiar with both sides of this equation. But my guess is a lot of people that are going to be listening and watching this aren't. So I'm sure they're going to go, you and I know, okay, come up with a media list and find 20 people that might whatever. But for the person that's out there, that's like, I have no idea who to put on that list. I have no idea how to find people that cover my niche or have an audience, what advice would you have for them to try and figure out who would even go on that list? Yeah. So first of all, I don't want you to just put like anybody and everybody and blast them all. Like when I was a TV reporter, I got hundreds of emails a day and it was so obvious that I was one of 500 people getting the exact same email at the exact same time with the exact same pitch. Like that never works. So you want to work from your goal. So for example, we'll use this cooking expert who wants Mm -hmm. to sell an online course. I love podcasts for people who want to build personal brands and who want to sell courses based on their expertise, just because there is something about the intent of a podcast listener that makes them more likely to take action than somebody who may be scrolling online or flipping through the channels. So with that goal, we're going to look at, okay, well, which podcast could you be on? Like if this person wants to learn how to cook or whatever their expertise is, say they want to learn how to cook better. Okay, well, why do they want to learn how to cook better? Is it like to meal prep for their family? Then let's look at the top family podcasts and let's see who's hosting those and what they're talking about. Because most likely a person listened to a family podcast, that's going to be a mom or a dad who cooks at home. So we'll go with that example. So you can either use software like Podcast Clout to like automatically build that list for you, 
Or you can just go into your podcast app, go into that family subsection or that family subcategory, and then look at the podcasts that are at the top or look at, listen, consider the podcast you're already listening to, honestly. And then when you see that in the app, it'll say, oh, if you liked this show, you might also like this show. And you literally just transfer that information onto a spreadsheet. You know who the host is. You go to their website, you go to their social media, and that is how you find the contact information. So for podcasts, you do that. For local traditional media, you can always find it on websites. You can always find it in actual print publications. You can even just use the Twitter search bar or the LinkedIn search bar as a search engine and type in like West Palm Beach family reporter or West Palm Beach food reporter, anything like that. And then you'll be able to find them. And it's just a matter of, again, and I like to say 20 just because we want to focus on quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. I've been doing podcast interviews on podcasts for years since I started my business about eight years ago. And I can't even tell you how many podcasts I've been on, but I can count on my hands how many interviews have moved the needle for me. And I can like directly say, okay, this income was a result of doing this podcast because it started this chain reaction of things that happened. So I'm a big believer in focusing on quality over quantity mm -hmm. because, again, you don't want to waste. This can be extremely time-consuming. So you want to spend your time wisely and focus on the quality over quantity. Cool. You mentioned podcast clout, which I've actually never heard of before. So tell me a bit about, if I haven't heard of it, I'm guessing lots of other people haven't heard yeah. of it either. So tell me a bit about what that is. Yeah. So I have an agency, like you mentioned, and I feel like being a guest on a podcast to build your personal brand is somewhat newer compared to other forms of media. And there's a lot of software in the PR space that we use to build pitch lists. Like, oh, you want to be on Oprah's website or magazine? Then you search O Magazine and, you know, it fits out a spreadsheet of all the information of everybody you need to contact there and what they cover. Nobody was doing this for podcasts. And there's millions of podcasts out there and in the app, even if they're not super popular or even if they're inactive. So when I was like, I just had a baby, I got this brilliant idea. Like, okay, I've been waiting forever for somebody to create a software database of just the top podcasts to build a pitch list, to like automatically do that. I don't know anything about tech or software. So I paid people who were smarter than me to build this. And then I had it for a couple of years. This is podcast clout. Had it for a couple of years where you can either search by keyword, you can search by category, you can use both together to niche down, and it'll automatically build this pitch list for you with the contact information and all of that. And I ended up just like, okay, I just wanted this thing to use it. I don't want to like grow it and market it right. and all of the things. So I ended up selling it in March of this year to a couple of guys who are like more motivated than me to grow the mm -hmm. thing. I'm still a minority owner just so I can help them mm -hmm. with like the PR and podcast portion of it all because they're more software tech guys mm -hmm. than I will ever be. But yeah, I mean, it's just a software that will quickly automate what you would do searching in the app and searching online. That's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned it because it sounds like a great tool and I really have never heard of it before. So I will definitely check it out. Cool. So let's get to my second question for you. Which is, again, I've worked in PR and journalism in the past. And one of the things I realized on both sides is most people have huge misconceptions about how the media works. On the PR side, they don't really understand how that works. They hire a publicist or an agency, and then they're like, I don't understand. I thought you're supposed to get me on the front page of the New York Times. And the publicist is like, but you don't actually have anything newsworthy happening. Like, it doesn't work that way. And to your point, like journalists on the other side are getting bombarded with pitches. I used to work for the Hollywood Reporter and cover the movie industry. And they're pitching me some new widget they made. And it's like, I cover movies. Like, why are you pitching me your widget? This makes no sense. So let's talk about what you see as the sort of three biggest mistakes people make when they're trying to get media coverage. And I think a lot of these tend to be based on misconceptions. But what is the stuff that I'm sure you see over and over again and roll your eyes? Yeah, there's so many misconceptions and there's so much gray area now than there mm -hmm. ever used to be. And that example you did, of you just made of like, oh, well, I hired you. You're supposed to get me on the front of the New York mm -hmm. Times. Like, 
it doesn't work like that. Like that would work if you spent a bunch of money for an ad, but okay. earning media here, like it's not a journalist's job to give you coverage just because you send a pitch. Like people are so entitled. They feel like they are deserving of this coverage. So you have to honestly, like just help the journalists do their job. And a few ways that you can do that to get coverage is to not make all of the mistakes people are making. So one mistake is their pitch is too promotional. Like it's not about this person's audience or this media outlet's audience. It's about them and their product or their course about cooking, for example. So they'll send the pitch and they'll be like, hi, I'm so talk about all their amazing expertise and this product that they have. And it's like, okay, but like, what's the story? Like, this is just like a free commercial for you. It makes no sense. Like, it's just all promotional. That's the biggest mistake people make. You have to make it about the audience and how they will benefit. The second mistake people make is they just don't make it newsworthy. And I talked about this in the last question. You have to be timely and you have to have specific talking points in what you're pitching. So to make something newsworthy, it has to be news in the fact that it's trending. That's a big thing a lot of journalists will say. Like, if you're going to pitch me something, make sure it's something trendy. Make sure it's something specific that we haven't heard before, because that is what makes it newsworthy. And then number three, people give up too easily. They don't follow up. They don't suggest another angle. They will pitch once and then they'll call it a day. When most of what you're going to get is going to be on the follow-up. And that's just because the inboxes are full and the news cycle is always changing. Like you could pitch something today that maybe isn't very trendy, but who knows? Something could happen in the news cycle where next week it's trendier. So for example, if we're talking about cooking, you know, like right now we have this big a lot of people are doing Ozempic or semi-glutide or whatever to lose weight. Like that's the new Hollywood way to lose weight. A lot of people disagree with it. You could go in with the angle and say, hey, instead of trying these weight loss drugs where you don't have to stab yourself with a needle once a week, instead, just add these three things to your diet every week and it'll help you lose weight. So that's a way to like piggyback off of something that's trending to make your pitch newsworthy. And then it's not going to feel promotional because again, you're making it about the audience because we're obviously gonna pitch an outlet that maybe is more focused towards women or focused towards health or weight loss or fitness, something like that. So you need to think about all those things. And then don't forget to follow up. And when you follow up, like try not to say you're following up. I always like to use the boomerang extension and I'll follow up once a week for about three weeks. And after mm -hmm. three weeks, your pitch should like, quote unquote, expire because it's not as timely anymore. And that's the time when you try a different angle. I love all that. A couple of thoughts about that and or questions. So I think the first is, and you touched on it a little bit, but maybe we can dive a little deeper for people that are, that they're creating essentially timeless content evergreen content or product or whatever it is that they do. And look at real meta here. Like, let's take this episode, for example. The advice that you're sharing in this episode about PR is most likely going to be every bit as relevant a year from now, two years from now, as it is right now, right? We're not tied to a specific news peg or anything like that, right? We're not talking about whatever's happening today in the news. Let's say I wanted to promote this conversation that we're having right now or try to get some coverage of it. It's not inherently topical. So how would you go about finding a hook to make it to answer the question of like why they should cover it now beyond it just came out and okay, maybe that's whatever. But how would you think about or approach that? Yeah, good question. Because this is really big on podcasts because podcasts, again, they're not as timely as more traditional media, more expertise focused. So this is where you have to get crazy specific on your talking point. So for example, when I pitch myself to be on a podcast, I don't say, I'll tell you how to book more podcast interviews because I'm sure everybody else who talks about what I talk about can pitch the same thing. So instead, my talking points are so specific that nobody else can pitch them. So for example, I will say how I got Amy Porterfield, her very first TV hit on headline news. I, that's one of my talking points. Another one is how one podcast episode turned into tens of thousands of dollars. And I'll walk you through that step by step. Another talking point of mine is how two guys with a startup making no money 
landed a three-minute segment on the Today Show. And I'll tell you all about that from start to finish. So I'm just getting super specific on the stories I'm going to tell you and then share takeaways that listeners can literally like execute, start executing that day. So I think if you have an expertise, you want to be crazy specific like that. Josh, something you're really good at in the For the Interested newsletter is saying stuff like how one advertisement led to 600 clicks and you can do the same by doing X, Y, Z. Like being so specific on that, like it's not just how to make more money with a newsletter. It's like one sentence and one newsletter got this many clicks and led to this many dollars made for a sponsor, like how you can do the same thing. You literally have to get so specific that nobody else can pitch the same talking point because it's so rare that podcast hosts get those pitches. Usually they get the same stuff over and over again. It's so generic. We're not learning anything new. And I think the more you can throw numbers into it like that or just crazy specific experiences, people like, okay, go deeper. I want to know the specifics of that. And they will have you on to learn that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's interesting because, again, I think you're echoing so many of the things that I sort of believe and practice and preach about and sort of other things. I always talk about you want to provide specific value to a specific audience like that word specific I use in all sorts of things. Nobody needs an article about how to grow a newsletter. There's a million how to grow a newsletter things. It's going to be much more interesting to say, here's the exact thing that this person did to gain 25,000 subscribers or whatever, which I think touches on another piece of this, which is specific, but also the proof piece. It's way more interesting when you've done it or you're talking about things that people that have actually done it. I always laugh when you see the like social media advice posts and whatever, and they're like, get more engagement. Oh, really? Thanks. That's a brilliant generic tip. Or be Um, authentic. Just be your authentic self. You'll grow your Instagram. Exactly. The more specific, the better. And I think that the other piece of this is, I think for people watching and listening, understanding that the more you think about a pitch, you would approach, if you were writing the article, if you were writing the blog post, if you were creating the video, it's almost like thinking about it in terms of headline and content, do the work for them, so to speak. You don't have to write the whole thing, but the same way you would not have a general headline for something that's like, hey, I help people grow their audiences. Okay, great. I'm not going to write a blog post that's just, hi, I help you grow your audience. Because I do think a lot of times people maybe understand that more intuitively in their content creation, but then their pitch is just like, oh, I do this and I have this course and I have this whatever. It's like, no, pitch them your dream article. If you want to be on someone's podcast episode and it was up to you to title the episode and whatever, what would your dream be? They won't necessarily do it, but the more that you can make it easy and do the work and show the journalist, the podcast host, the whatever, look, this is what it's going to be. The more compelling it is, the more likely that they are to go for that. And I think the other thing I would say along those lines is that you mentioned is at its core, you need to give people a reason to choose you. It's not just the topic. Somebody might want to do an episode on newsletter growth, but to your point, there might be 10 people who emailed them saying, hey, I'm a newsletter growth expert. Would you have me on? Well, why should they choose you? A lot of times people are just like, oh, they'll like the newsletter growth topic. Okay, but you're not the only one that can talk about the newsletter growth topic. So like understanding that your pitch is not just about, do you want this thing? Again, I say this with newsletters all the time, right? You see people who are like, get my newsletter to get five interesting articles about self-improvement. Okay, there's a million newsletters that are doing that. And there's a million that are good. Like, why should I choose you and understanding that in your pitch, that it's not just the topic, but you're trying to suggest why it should be you as opposed to someone else. The other thing here that I just wanted to clarify again for people that maybe hear the term but aren't necessarily as familiar with it as we are, let's talk about the concept of talking points. Because I know Mm. you use that phrase for yourself, and I'm going to assume that you spent some time thinking and brainstorming and going, these are talking points that are unique to me. But to someone that's not really familiar and doesn't really understand, I think there's two things I want to touch on here. One is sort of what a talking point is in general, so people can understand that. And then the other, which is kind of related, but sort of sound bites. So as someone who was a former 
publicist and journalist, when I got interviewed by people, I understood that if someone called me up for an interview, and I'm not talking about podcasts where they're going to do the whole thing, but the typical sort of press coverage, I understood that we're going to talk for 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever, and they're probably going to pull two lines. There's going to be two quotes. And understanding that going into it and speaking in sound bites and having some particular things that I was like trying to serve up, this is the thing. I know they're looking for those one or two lines. So I'm going to make sure I give them those one or two, one or two lines. So can you talk a little bit just about talking points and sound bites? Yeah. I was such a fast reporter because I always knew like I needed no more than three sound bites and then yeah. I would be done with the interview like after five minutes. But then people who couldn't give good sound bites, I'm like there after like 10 minutes, like, oh, dear God, this is right. brutal. Right. So a good sound bite, I, I, speaking in TV news terms, but now that we have all this short form video and reels yeah. and TikTok and everything, like think of it as TV. It's like no more than 15 seconds. But, you know, then if we're going to talk about TikTok and Reels, think of it as a minute of just like really good, juicy content that somebody is spewing out of their mouth for that short time. Like they just blow you away with what they said in that 20 seconds or that minute long conversation. That's a good soundbite. People who are bad at giving soundbites most of the time are police officers speaking in TV news because they will say, the subject fled on foot with like no emotion. And I remember we had this one PIO in this city in Miami and he was amazing. Whenever we got a soundbite from him, he'd be like, oh my God, the bad guy, he was jumping over the fence and this and that. Like he would talk like that. So like that, I hope gives you like an idea of what a good soundbite is. And then when we talk about talking points, that really is just helping the person you're pitching. If you're pitching a producer at a TV station or a podcast host, like I've had people who they've pitched me good ideas and then they don't prove they don't provide any talking points or bullet points. So then I'm like, this thing you're pitching me, it's not my area of expertise. So I don't even know like how to have the conversation or what questions to ask. So then I won't book them because it's too much of a pain in my ass to go back and forth with the person. So I'll give you another example of a client that I had. And she was a dietitian in the San Diego area. She wanted to reach more moms because she wanted to work with kids. So we pitched around back to school time in the fall. That's the timeliness. And we shared some talking points and how kids could go to school with a full lunchbox and come back with an empty one because they ate all their lunch. And we shared statistics about picky eaters, again, to show how it was newsworthy. And then the talking points gave the producers an idea of what the segment would look like. Like one thing you could do is make the food look fun by doing X, Y, Z. Another thing you could do is include things that are covered in chocolate because then it'll make it look a little better and they're more likely to eat it. So those are like some examples. So in those talking points, the producer could visualize the segment and visualize the conversation they were going to have. She knew how to have the conversation. And that's just how it works when you pitch the media because a lot of times, they're not going to be experts in what you're talking about. So they need you to help them do their job by saying, this is where the conversation can go. And remember, these talking points should not be all about you and your product and your service. It may circle back to that. You're dropping mm -hmm. the breadcrumbs there. But at the end of the day, those talking points should be something that the audience is going to be educated on and entertained by. And I think I would also add to that once you do get booked for an interview or to go on a podcast or whatever, being strategic about it and mapping out where you want to go and also like letting them know, but positioning it in a way that you get there. So using our hypothetical of the cooking expert who wants to, let's say, promote their course and they get booked on a podcast. And if in my own mind, I'm like, I want to at least have some of this podcast talking about the course and I'm going to go there so that you don't wind up falling into a situation where you get interviewed for a half an hour and they spend all the time talking about what you were doing in elementary school. And then at the end go, oh, and by the way, Josh has a course, right? Like that's not just on the host, like that's on you. And I think understanding that not only serving them up talking points and giving them a reason to talk about the course, there's a really interesting story about why this course happened and whatever it is. But also if you do find that the interview is not going where you wanna go, being able to have that connective tissue. 
So for example, let's say you're, I'm making this up, but let's say you're in that interview and the person's going on and on and talking to you about your elementary school experience and in your mind, you're going, I want to get to the core. I want to talk about the course. You could very easily go, you know, what's really crazy is we're talking about what I was like as a second grader is I used to hate teachers and now I've become a teacher. And now you're segueing into what it's like. So you're jumping from like where they are to redirect in a natural way back to what you want to talk about. But I think you have to go into it strategically understanding like, I want to have some of this conversation be about this thing. I don't want to just let it up to them. Because again, a lot of times they don't know, right? They're not the expert in this stuff. And if you don't direct it, and by the way, like that doesn't mean you just direct it and promote, oh, I have a course. Like you have to make it interesting. That connection has to be legitimate and interesting and good for the show. But I do think a lot of times people feel like, oh, I got booked. And then they're just like, well, I guess we'll talk about whatever the host wants to talk about. And that, that'll be that. If you do that, it's a missed opportunity. Okay. So let me get to my last question for you, which is you've given us awesome tips about how to do PR for yourself. But let's be honest, a lot of people are going to be like, I don't have the time. I don't have the interest. I want coverage. I'm not doing all this stuff. I'm not coming up with a list. I'm not pitching people. I just want to hire someone to do this for me. Great. Good for you. Certainly can work. But I think that opens up a whole bunch of other questions that people have. So let's get into some questions about hiring somebody to help you with this, whether it be a publicist, an agency, or whatever. So the first question is, if I want to hire someone to help me with this, besides hiring you, where do I go? How do I find a good one? What do I look for? Where do I look? Well, just like when it comes to having realistic expectations and earning media coverage, you have to have realistic expectations in the PR industry. So like when I started as a, I called myself a professional freelancer, and then I've slowly slash accidentally built this agency over the last eight years. So I have the agency, but then I also have like an online course to help people do it themselves who don't have an agency budget. And I say that because when I say have realistic expectations, it's the agency budget part. So like do yourself a favor and Google these things. How much does it cost to hire a PR agency? The average PR agency will not accept anything under a six-month retainer for at least a few thousand dollars a month. And I also, you made the point earlier when we were talking, Josh, that like this is marketing and it leads to sales. And so many people will look at PR like, oh my gosh, I have to make sales. I have to put all my money into hiring an agency and hopefully this will make sales. We're not your sales team. Like we are step one. People can't do business with you if they don't know about you. We get you known. After that, you get the leads. After that, you make the sales. So you just have to have realistic expectations of what this is going to cost you and what you're going to get in return. It's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. So are you going to hire an agency? Do you have the budget to do that? Or do you have to maybe purchase an online course? And if you don't want to execute it, maybe it's bringing on a VA to execute what's in the online course, okay? So you just have to keep that in mind because today there's so many different options. And then the second tip I would do, I would say is to get a referral because I can tell you just being on the other side of it, I'm sure you could do the same, Josh. Most PR agencies in my experience are terrible. Like they're lazy. They have no idea what it's like to sit in the newsroom and be on the other end of things. That it's like you need to a referral from somebody who has worked with somebody and had a good experience. And then you also want to ask them how they work. Like, how do you guys do this? In my opinion, if they're like, oh, we'll send press releases out on the wire or we'll write press right. releases and do this. Right. Like to me, that is like a red flag. It is not 1990. Press releases do not work like they used to anymore. Something that, that honestly, like I was talking to a client once and something that made them go with us over another company was because we sent weekly updates. I was like, every Friday, we'll send you a weekly update and we'll tell you what worked, what didn't work, what we're doing next week, anything else we need. And they were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. The last PR agency we hired, like we never knew what was going on. Whenever they got something, they would tell us and we never knew what they were doing. So like even things like that, like you need to know these kinds of things. Like you need to ask them, well, how do you work? And you need to make sure 
that they are in budget. And then also I'm a big fan of the referral just because today everybody on the internet is an expert and everybody yeah. on the internet, they can do it all. So just make sure that they they practice what they preach and people are happy with it. It's so funny. I love I love that you said most PR agencies and publicists are terrible because I could not agree more. And it's so funny. <laughs> Emily Benedict, who, by the way, is now finally she works with me and she's now finally posting awesome stuff on Twitter. So you her Twitter is her. fabulous. I know, right. She'll be editing this episode, so I'm sure she'll be thrilled to- Shout uh, out, Emily. Thrilled thrilled to hear this. But so Emily has a background in PR as well. And I was texting her and I said I had booked you and we were going to do an episode all about PR. And she knows that I have strong feelings about, very similar to you, that like most PR, good PR, I think is incredible. Like a good publicist or good agency is incredibly valuable. Most of them, I think, are terrible. Right. And so it was funny because I said to her, I was like, yeah, we're going to do this episode. I was like, it should be really interesting to see if I can contain my disdain, my general disdain for PR throughout the whole episode. So it's so funny that you said that. And again, I think all the advice that you just gave is good. And I loved your point of sort of the weekly updates because I see that all the time. And it's very easy. And again, having worked on both sides, it's interesting. Like on the one hand, I have this quote unquote disdain for PR. On the other hand, I have empathy for publicists because I do think most clients have completely unrealistic expectations. Yeah. And you wind up in this weird situation where they get mad and they go, I'm paying you all this money and where's my coverage? And on the one hand, you have publicists who are just going, well, no one was interested. We told you it's not guaranteed. All we can do is pitch and hopefully they, they do it. And there's this weird thing where like there's truth in that. But also at times it's their fault. Like it's just a weird situation. And I think one of the questions I would have for you, and this is an impossible, I'll preface this by saying it's an impossible question to answer. And there is no right or wrong answer, but I do think it's a mindset that a lot of people have to go through and decide when it comes to PR. Let's say there, I have a $20,000 budget and I want to spend it on marketing and figuring out whatever. And I'm looking at two options, right? One option is I could hire a PR agency for six months at 3000 a month or whatever it is, or I could take that money and I could run Facebook ads, Instagram ads, whatever. How, and obviously there's no guarantees on either front. I can pay the PR agency. Maybe I get a lot of stuff. Maybe I get a little stuff. To your point, maybe it gets me attention that converts a lot. Maybe it doesn't convert a lot. Like who knows, you can certainly spend a bunch of money on ads that works or doesn't work. Like all of this is unknown. There's no right or wrong. But to that person that's trying to go, am I better off investing 20,000 in PR or in social ads, just as a rough example? How do you think they should go about trying to make that decision? It's so funny because I had this happen to me before with a mm -hmm. restaurant down here. They came to me with like a $40,000 budget over three months for ads to, to promote mm -hmm. the opening of their restaurant. And I was like, okay, well, you can give me the 40,000. We'll work longer than three months and we'll, we could potentially get you in all of these places where you want to advertise and get you more. And the thing is with PR, it's there when you land the coverage, it's most likely going to be there forever. With ads, when you stop spending money on an ad, it's gone. Like mm -hmm. it, it doesn't last anymore. Like a Facebook ad, you stop spending money, it goes away. But when you earn coverage, like I can still find coverage that I've earned for myself or clients from years and years ago that people are still finding, that people are still like entering my funnel because they heard me on a podcast interview I did years ago. If that were an ad after so many downloads, it disappears. So there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect is the authority and credibility piece. Anybody can spend money and be anywhere. That doesn't mean you're an authority. That doesn't mean you're credible. It doesn't mean you're good at what you do. It just means you had the money to get there. When you earn the coverage, it's like you're there because you're worthy of being there. And it's like a third party endorsement. It's like a referral from a friend. So it just builds that no like and trust factor mm -hmm. so much more than an ad would. And it's just, I feel like the only time we really pay attention to ads anymore are two different times. One time, the Super Bowl, just because we know people are paying a ridiculous amount of money to be there and we want to see how creative they can be with their yeah. ad. And then the second time is honestly when you consider the person sharing that ad. So like, for example, like Josh, I've sponsored your newsletter before mm -hmm. and I'm interested 
and the people who are sponsoring the For the Interested newsletter because I know, like, and trust you. So I know that you're not going to put an ad in there that is like random and not on brand for you. It's very different than that. that it's very different than traditional media, honestly, because who you decide gets to advertise is a reflection of you and your brand. So I feel like those are a couple of times when advertising is different than PR. But again, with PR and earning the exposure, you get that authority and that credibility and you build that no like and trust factor so much more than you would with an ad. And then it lasts, it lasts forever. You know, like people yeah. can find this podcast for years and years to come. Let's hope so. <laughs> the, other, the other thing I would say about that is you can also do a hybrid. So I'm going to give sort of two examples of this, right? So for example, let's take your restaurant. And again, mm -hmm. it depends on their budget and whatever. But hypothetically, if a restaurant hired you and you were able, let's because the restaurant's obviously local business, right? So let's say you were able to get the local newspaper to do some coverage and write some article and say, oh my God, it's this amazing mom and pop thing. It's one of the best restaurants and blah, blah, blah. Like you got to go. That hit that you got through PR can then be amplified with ads. I and I think that. this is something that people miss a lot of the times. So if you're going to spend money on ads, as opposed to the generic ad, to your point, get the trust factor of the press coverage and amplify that. I had a client once who was a Hollywood talent manager, and I used to talk to him all the time because when his, he represented actors and stuff, right? And so in, in the entertainment trades, like someone books a role. And they try really hard to get Variety or the Hollywood Reporter, whoever, to write a thing about cast and blah, 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 blah. And they'd be excited. Like, that's a sort of traditional PR thing. And it, they'd be excited and the client would be excited. Oh, I, my, I got cast and I was mentioned in Variety and blah, blah, blah. But the problem is, especially now, and this is a huge shift from print days to internet. So print had limited pages. And everybody read back in the day, everybody read Variety every day. And if you were in there, like the whole town would see. Now, online has infinite pages. Just because this actor gets written about in Variety doesn't mean anybody's actually really seeing it because it's just buried online. So what I had said to him was, you very cheaply can be promoting that article in an ad, targeting people who work at studios and casting directors and all the people that you want. And I actually think it's irresponsible not to do this. Oh, amen. Because it's not going to cost much of anything. Whereas if he had, if you didn't, having that article allows you to amplify that and get those people you want to see it. But if you don't have the article and you just post on your thing or the actor posts, hey, I got cast and whatever, and you run the ad, it's not the same. There's that legitimacy that comes from, oh, Variety is covering this guy. But I think there's a fault. Again, there's false perceptions on both sides, right? There's a false perception that I can just run ads and media coverage doesn't matter. And then there's a false perception now that just because I got media coverage, I don't need to run ads. It was in Variety. Well, nobody saw it. As someone who, and I remember, I'll just give this one example. Again, the internet's a whole other thing because people's perceptions of what actually drives traction or not. When I was working at the Academy of Motion Pictures, we put it, we launched a new web series, right? And so we would have, we had a traditional PR team and they would get us PR hits. And then we were also doing our online stuff and whatever. And I remember the PR team was thrilled because they got a placement in, I think it was like USA Today, like on their website, right? And it was like, oh, Academy launches new thing and here's the video. And it's interesting because the videos were embedded so I could actually see the views from the sources. So we had it on USA Today. And then there was some like indie website called like No Film School. And the, U the video on USA Today's website got like 20 views. And the video on like No Film School got like 10,000. And the PR department, because they didn't see that, right? They don't see those numbers. They're just like, we got you in USA Today. Like, isn't this amazing? And I was looking at it and going, well, No Film School was actually a much better hit. I know it doesn't seem that way and it doesn't look as sexy in a report. So I think for everybody that's doing all this, also understanding that media has gotten so splintered and the internet's a whole other world. And it's not like it used to be where it's like, whoa, you got in Time Magazine? That's a big deal. Being on the Time website is different. That like, it's just everything's changed. But I do think that hybrid, that combination. And I think, again, if you are going to pay for PR, going into it, understanding that it's not just the hit and the coverage they get, but that coverage becomes an asset to your point 
that you can reuse and stretch in all sorts of ways over time. I think the biggest mistake people make, and I say this all the time, is they don't do PR on their PR. Like you said, it's right. irresponsible not to share. Yeah. I think it's I think it's also rude and mm. it's stupid. It's rude because you have somebody giving you free coverage on their platform and you're not going to yep. share it. Like that's just inconsiderate. And then it's stupid because like you have this and you're not going to share it. Like I wrote for Inc. Magazine for two years and I never once had anybody contact me and say, hey, I want to work with you because I saw this article in Inc. What happened was I shared the articles I wrote in Inc. on my LinkedIn page. And then people would reach out and say, oh, I see you write for Inc. How can I get an Inc? And that's how the conversation would happen. Like you leave so much money on the table when you don't share stuff. I've had journalists also turn down my clients because my clients didn't share their past coverage on social media. They'll say, oh, well, last mm. time we covered you, you didn't share it on social media. And my boss is really looking at the clicks and the engagement. And if we're putting you in our outlet and you're not sharing it, like we're not going to keep coming back to you. We're going to go to your competition who's willing to share it with their audience. Yeah, that's great. And it's understanding that it's reframing your mindset to, to understand that Media coverage is the beginning of a process, not the end of one. By the way, that's how sound bites work. Okay. So let's <laughs> and cut. Yeah. So all right. So we're gonna wrap up here. I'm gonna give you just one last, one last kind of rapid fire question here. So let's say that I'm interviewing potential publicists or agencies thinking of hiring one. Give me three questions that I should ask them. The first one, and this one's always a doozy when clients ask me, is how do you measure success? Because success in PR is hard to measure. It's not like Google ads where you can go back into your dashboard and see all the numbers. It's something that is very much like a word of mouth or a referral. So I would always ask, what does success look like? Like you really need to think about that. What does it look like for you? And if you're hiring somebody, what does it look like for them? It could translate in more email list subscribers. It could translate in more traffic to your website. It could be more people to walk in through your brick and mortar location. Like whatever it is, what is success? I always like to tell people like, well, Google yourself now. And then after you've worked with me for three months, then Google yourself. Like, do you see more? Are you building your personal brand? Are you, are you more searchable? Like, do people find you more than they used to? So you just have to get clear on, again, the expectation of what success is because this isn't something that it's like black and white, easy to measure. And then I would also say, how are you going to keep me in the loop? Because this is also, I like to use the analogy of like SEO. Like SEO is something that takes time. It's not something that like after a month or two, you're going to rank number one for all these keywords. So that's why we send an email to all of our clients every Friday. This is what we did. This is what's working. This is what we're going to do next. Like you need to keep somebody in the loop when you hire them to do something that is more of a long-term strategy than a, a short-term strategy, just because it gives you peace of mind and you also wanna just set those expectations early. And then the last thing I would ask is, what have you done for other people like me? Because there's lots of agencies that are niched in certain things. Like they only, I have a friend who has an agency and she only works with nonfiction authors. So that is her niche. So if you are trying to get publicity to sell an online cooking course, She's probably not the best person to work with unless you have a cookbook. So what have you done for other people like me? Because PR and the outreach is so different. Like I've had people who, who have reached out to me about entertainment stuff, Josh. That's so, like my experience is as a local TV reporter. So when it, like we did like news, like hard news. So when it comes to entertainment stuff and like building somebody's brand as a singer to that audience that mm -hmm. they want to get in front of, that is not my expertise. So you want to know what they've done for people like you. And you also, in that same realm, you want to make sure that they're not working with somebody who is an exact competitor of yours because then they're pitting you two against each other. And that's where I always find like sometimes with agencies who are niched in certain things, like you can't get an agency that's too niched because like what if they have two cooking experts who want national coverage to build their email list, then they're pitting them against each other. So you just want to keep those things in mind as well. And then just to add on, 
like maybe not questions to ask, but things to consider, like who you're hiring, like what does their personal brand look like? Do they practice what they, are they earning media exposure or are they on TV or are they in the media? And then look at like their client success and retention. Like if they're working with people like you, are those people successful? Do they stay with that agency or that publicist for a long time because they're seeing success? Things like that. Yeah, that's great. The other thing I would add to that that I just thought of as you were talking is relationships is a huge part of PR. And a publicist can get you covered some with somebody that they don't have a relationship with, certainly. But if they have a relationship with them, it's a lot easier. So I think it'd be interesting and helpful to look at, again, going back to the cooking example, have they had food writers do coverage of clients before? Does Because it, it shows like, okay, I've had success with this person. I have some sort of relationship with them. I can get to them. I'm not going to get just ignored in their inbox. And I think that can be really helpful in terms of like, where have you gone? If you see that a publicist, like again, I'll just use the cooking example. If you see that this food writer has covered multiple of their clients, doesn't guarantee that they're going to cover you, but it right. probably guarantees that you're at least going to get in front of their radar. They'll you're see the pitch. They'll see the pitch. Like you're going to have a shot. And I think that is really important, right? If you're like, I booked these three clients on this person's podcast, I'm pretty confident you're going to be able to at least get me in front of that person with the podcast. They may not book me. It's not a guarantee, but it certainly helps versus, well, you've never booked anyone on any of these 20 podcasts that I want to be on. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but I'd rather right. go with the person who has done it before. Christina, this was awesome. Thank you so much for being on. I'm sure people are going to find this really valuable. Let people know where they can connect with you, where they can find more of your stuff, all of that. Yeah, well, I have a podcast, Become a Media Maven, where I talk more about this. I also have a free masterclass where I go into specifics about some stories of how I've gotten people coverage and what we did to lead up to that. You can get that at earnmedianow.com. And then I'm on the socials at Christina All Day pretty much everywhere. Cool. Good domain name, Earn Media Now. I like it. <laughs> for me, my newsletter, fortheinterested.com. I have skill sessions, which I don't talk about or promote nearly enough. JoshSpector.com slash sessions. The last one I did actually very relevant to what we're talking about today called The Relationship Builder. It's all about how to identify and connect with people who can help you grow your audience and business. I'm on Twitter all the time at JSpector. You can see me there going back and forth with Christina if you didn't get enough of us communicating on this show. And if you would like to come on this show and ask me questions, Go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit them. And hopefully I'll be talking to you on here. Thanks again, Christina. Thanks everyone for listening. I will see you next week.